Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau says Canada is prepared to keep military personnel in Afghanistan past America's August 31st deadline. We are all committed to doing everything we can to save as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Obviously, the conversations will continue uh, with uh, uh, with our allies. allies. Aaron O'Toole accuses Justin Trudeau of carrying out a misleading campaign on health care. A prime minister who was serious about health care wouldn't have called an election during a national health emergency. And now, unbelievably, he's threatening to cut health care funding and close health clinics in the middle of a pandemic. And Jagmeet Singh focuses on the NDP's commitment to ending for-profit long-term care. What we've seen in long-term care has been horrible, it's been horrific, it's been traumatic, but we can't accept it. We can't allow it to continue. It can't be that our seniors and our loved ones bore the brunt of this pandemic and then we forget about it. It's Wednesday, August 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top stories from the campaign trail this morning. We're joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Mark. Let's talk about Afghanistan. This is uh, a news story that has interrupted and uh, inserted itself into the election campaign. Justin Trudeau yesterday did some campaigning, then met with other G7 leaders on the situation in Afghanistan, then spoke to reporters afterwards. Uh, What's your sense of of how this is going, what Canada's ongoing role is going to be in terms of helping the people of Afghanistan, and what this all means ultimately about Canada's participation in the war there and the extraordinary price that this country paid? Well, uh, you know, history is going to write that, Mark. It's, it's, this is not something that is uh, really uh, prone to uh, quick analysis. But on the actual news that's developing each day, um, you know, Canada is scrambling to get out there as best it can. I mean, it's working alongside the world's largest and most sophisticated logistical organization, the United States military. Uh, But it's trying to do what it can with the time available, and that time is literally clicking down by the minute. Um, It's obvious the Taliban uh, that is now in charge in Afghanistan are not going to allow uh, large numbers of Afghan nationals to leave the country. Uh, that looks bad on them, obviously, and uh, you can't call them all traitors. Uh, I think a lot of people obviously feel the Taliban is going to bring about a a system of oppression and uh, and uh, you know uh, restrictions on human rights and lots of other terrible things. So, uh, but it does take a lot of time to get people from that end of the world to this end of the world, or or even get them out of that place, given the violence of the situation and the uh, instability. So uh, it's really a tough situation. And as you say, it, this has come out of the sort of left field. Uh, it was the Biden administration decision that brought this all down, and Canada has been left in the position of trying to do the best it can, given the limited resources and the terrible situation they're facing. And what do you think about how it's playing out within the campaign that's going on? Uh, The Conservatives were quick to seize yesterday on the fact that Justin Trudeau was, was not completely ruling out engaging 
with the Taliban as the government. He didn't say he would recognize the government, but he talked about the Western uh, or the international community, I should say, uh, engaging with the Taliban over issues like food security. Uh, Erin O'Toole has ruled out completely the idea of of recognizing the Taliban as the government of that country. Uh, what do you think about all of that? Well, there's not... Uh, there's no need whatsoever to recognize the Taliban as the official, uh, you know, choice of the Afghan people as the government of that country. That said, uh, there's no reason why you can't carry on having some sort of productive relations in given areas. And uh, I don't know if the conservatives are really so naive as to suggest that we shouldn't deal with them or talk to them. Um, you have to. You have to talk to them. Uh, you know, there's Canadian interests that are still in place there. Um, you know, you, you doesn't mean you have to be nice to them or support them or any of those other uh, things. It does mean that you have to recognize the fact. The, it's a fact that the Taliban have taken over in Afghanistan. While Canada still has national interests there or people that, that are related to Canada in some way, uh, yeah, we do have to stay engaged there on some level. Uh, Canada will stay engaged with Afghanistan, I'm sure, through multilateral organizations like the UN or, or others, you know, World Health Organizations and, and refugee organizations. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's silly to suggest we don't talk to them. Uh, the point is to talk to them in the right way and in a measured way and in a way that protects Canadian interests. All right, let's turn to the issue of health care. Uh, which has surfaced as uh, an early theme of the of the election campaign, and not just because of the tweet sent out by Christia Freeland uh, and the repeated message from the Liberals that Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, is open to privatization and and wants a two tier healthcare system. Uh, it, it, that that in itself is a bit of a, a red herring because. It can, you know, I think it's worth pointing out we already have for-profit companies participating in our healthcare system. We already have some services that aren't covered by provincial health programs. So there's already a bit of a hybrid going on. Um, but what do you think about that issue and what the parties are promising and how it's become an early topic in this campaign? Healthcare is a is a growing issue in this country. Uh, you know, as the population ages, particularly, and um, you know, a lot of the provinces now are in financial difficulty as a, a direct result of the pandemic. Uh, they've had to spend in areas they were not hoping to spend in. Uh, up till now, uh, the the provincial spending has been hamstrung a bit by the Harper government's uh, decision a few years back to limit the growth of uh, Canada health transfers um, over time. Now, this is something the provinces didn't like at the time. They, they kind of grumbled, but there wasn't much they can do because it was imposed by not the Liberal government or anyone else, but by the Conservatives under Harper. So now uh, it looks like O'Toole is, is walking away from that position, is now saying they'd spend a lot more, uh, maybe twice as much, and, uh, um, you know, $60 billion, uh, or so over 10 years. It sounds like a massive number, but $6 billion a year on a health care uh, plan that has to cover 35 million people is not a, a huge new uh, in, influx of money. Um, but it is... Uh, 
a, ma- a major issue, and we saw in Nova Scotia that healthcare could become the number one issue in the pro- in uh, in the election campaign um, if the parties really seek to do that. Uh, deep down inside, I don't think any party has the solution to the healthcare issue. Um, you know, uh, costs are growing. Inflation generally runs faster in the healthcare sector than it does in the general economy. And, um, you know, throwing money at it doesn't solve it. And, of course, this is what the provinces want Ottawa to do, is just open the coffers, give them the money, and they spend it and they do the ribbon cutting. So uh, there is a there is an element of just pure uh, self-interested politics in this. Uh, but it masks, I think, the larger issue is that uh, health care uh, has to keep pace with the times. And, and there probably are reforms in and out of the public sector that could be done that make the that make it more uh, fair and uh, and more manageable, more affordable, more affordable. And and of course, you're talking about it from from the point of view of the issue itself. Um if you overlay the campaign on that, how is it playing out within the campaign? Because it is a it it, it there's a lot of rhetoric and um, and there are attempts to turn this into a, a wedge issue or a ballot question. How do you think that's working? Yeah, well, right now the parties are scrambling. I think the Conservatives and the NDP feel they've got momentum. So everything under the sun is going to be a major issue. And everything, you know, a bird falls out of a tree during an election campaign, that's a major issue. But that said, I I do think Canadians are going to be a bit skeptical about wild claims of being able to massively reform the health care system and make it super good and, and super affordable. Uh, I do think people should be skeptical of those types of uh, promises because this is a federal election and health care is a provincial uh, matter. So, um, you know, I, I do, you know, I, I, I can see the Liberals and the NDP trying to hold the Conservatives out as private health care, uh, you know, advocates and all that. I, I don't think they're going to make that kind of mistake uh, in this campaign. I don't think the Conservatives will make that kind of mistake in this campaign. Um, and I do think the Liberals and the NDP will keep pounding on that. Uh, but the fact is, is that, um, you know, health care has to reform with the rest of society and a better election promise from all of the parties would be to reform it along with the rest of, uh, of the economy uh, in a sensible way that we can manage and not be disruptive. That's that's very important. All right, let's talk about long-term care. And uh, if you go back a few months, uh, I think there was a feeling that the the pandemic had exposed a crisis in long-term care facilities in our country. And in your home province of Nova Scotia, that was uh, a, a major topic of discussion. Uh, and there was a feeling, I think, at the time of l- let's address this. Let's never let this happen again. Uh, it's it's quieted down since then as other events have, have uh, grabbed our attention. But Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, continues to talk about it and is saying we need to remove uh, for-profit companies from long-term care facilities in this country. What do you think about that issue? Well, it uh, uh, I hate to say this, but it's deeply simplistic. I really think it is. There's a well-established network now of public and private long-term care facilities. Um, of, of Some of them are extremely elaborate and large, and some of them are very small and compact. And, and some of these smaller for-profit places serve tiny communities around the country. 
uh, and they do enable people to live closer to their families and their loved ones in the later parts of their lives. I mean, I, I feel very strong about this, Mark, because my own mother is in long-term care, and uh, she's had experience in both the private system and the public system. And what I've learned, and what our family has learned, is that, uh, at least in Nova Scotia, precisely the same standards apply in the public and private systems. The public systems tend not to have as fancy buildings, but the uh, you have to have the same number of nurses, the same number of caregivers, food, everything all has to be the same. And uh, I don't see the point of bringing in national standards. Are they going to now have to all comply to some new set of regulations that, that come out of the blue? Um, and, you know, to be fair, in Nova Scotia, at least, the disaster in long-term care happened in a public facility and not-for-profit facility. And uh, so it's it's hard to make a sweeping, I, uh, you know, I, I think it's a sweeping generalization across the, the system of long-term care that Singh is making. I, I wish they would go back and sit down and think about that a little bit further. Um, I, I do know, though, that, that there were some terrible disasters in private long-term care in Ontario, Quebec, and other places. And those things should be dealt with and should be reformed. Um, and, you know, if the feds want to help, put some money in it in every province and uh, find ways to let the local people decide the best way to invest that because it, it really, long-term care and old age is a local issue. It should be a local issue. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I don't think much of this plan. It, it just sounds like uh, electioneering to me. And uh, I don't think it's been very well thought out because it's a deeply, deeply complicated situation and every town needs its own uh, resolution. All right. Great to have your perspective on this, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. The Conservative Party isn't there to help you. I guess that should come as no surprise. After all, the Conservative Party would do what they always do. Give the biggest breaks to the wealthiest few. Now, here's what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues Justin Trudeau has forsaken sunny ways for petulance and gloom. Hébert writes, Looking at Justin Trudeau's body language over the past few days, one could be misled into thinking it was his government that was dragged into an early election rather than the opposite. His campaign bears little resemblance to the convivial exercise that earned him a majority government in 2015. There is a petulance to his tone that stands in stark contrast with the positive outlook many voters associate with his political brand. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues that it's far too early for conservative giddiness. Martin writes, Trudeau's bid for a majority is in a meltdown as the Liberal leaders' scare tactics miss their mark, his policies fall short of wow-worthy, and his bad luck gets worse on the Afghanistan crisis. But there are still 100,000 campaign kilometers ahead, vote-deciding debates to survive, and many gaffes to endure. However, if this Trudeau leadership wobble continues to worsen for another few weeks, the Conservatives may have the right to get giddy about governing. In the National Observer, Andrew Perez considers how the pandemic has been a political game-changer for Justin Trudeau. Perez writes, 
The pandemic resurrected Trudeau's fortunes at an opportune time. While the government's handling of the pandemic has not been flawless, they have consistently risen to the occasion. The Liberals are well-positioned to form a third consecutive government. But running merely on his record these past 18 months will only get Trudeau so far. He must demonstrate why he and his party should be entrusted with a majority mandate at this consequential moment. Now, here's what's coming up today on the campaign trail. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau will make an announcement and speak with the media in Surrey, British Columbia. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will make an announcement and hold a news conference in Brantford, Ontario, before attending an event with supporters in Hamilton. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will make two announcements in Windsor, Ontario. Green Party leader Annemi Paul will hold a news conference and canvas with supporters in Toronto. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will be in Quebec City, where he will hold a news conference, tour with candidates, and meet with the city's mayor. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, August 25th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for coverage of the election campaign. And join me for Have Your Say every weekday on CPAC at 12 Eastern Time. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.